Welcome to Speaking of Water. I'm Brett Walton, a reporter for Circle of Blue. Today we're discussing toxic algae blooms in Lake Erie's Western Basin. Our guest is Keith Schneider, who's Circle of Blue's senior editor and chief correspondent. Keith, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. You just wrapped up a six-part series on harmful algal blooms in Lake Erie. The stories touch on the history of the blooms, what causes them, how regulators have addressed them, and the impediments to cleaning up the lake. What attracted you to this topic? Well, about six years ago, I'm a regular runner, and I was running along the Sleeping Bear Dunes National Lakeshore, which typically is, you know, nobody's on it, and beautiful white sands and clear, clear water. And on that day, it was just loaded with algae, not, not the kind of algae that produces harmful algal blooms, but a lot of algae, the kind of algae that you see on the other side of the lake near Green Bay, Fox River watershed, which is really thick, wasn't that thick, but I was appalled. I'm, I'm like, what is going on here? Why is this happening? This in a pretty, pretty undeveloped part of the country, certainly one of the least developed parts of Michigan. And I got interested and I started looking in and I started talking to Carl Ganter, our director. I said, Carl, man, we got to do something and we were water. Let's look into it. Anyway, it took a while, but we finally put together a proposal and took it to Herb Foundation and then took it to Joyce Foundation. And they agreed to fund a pretty extensive investigation that includes video, audio, graphics, great pictures, and of course, months of reporting and writing that it took to finish this project. So it's been in the works, let's just say a long time. And I'm, you know, right. I, I'm hoping that we can break through, you know, hoping that we can break through with this project. So Lake Erie, the, the whole lake spans several states and provinces in Canada, but you focused on the Michigan segment of the lake. Why was that? Well, two reasons. One is that one of the funders, Herb, is a Michigan-based foundation that likes to keep its its work in Michigan and has done wonderful scientific research work on this issue of harmful algal blooms. And the second is that this story is so big, it's global in nature, it's getting worse everywhere. And to tell it, I had to find, you know, when you're when you're writing a narrative that's this complex, you have to find a way to structure it, right? Because structure is everything in storytelling. And it was clear to me that, that in order to tell this story well, I need to focus it in a place that A, was subject to these kinds of blooms, the causes and the cures, the impediments. And that place turned out to be Southern Michigan, six counties of Southeast Michigan, led by Lanaway County, which borders Lake Erie in Monroe. And it just fit that all the pieces that you need to tell this story and to report this story were in those six Western Lake Erie Basin counties of Michigan. And the story has a long antecedent. We had blooms that were in these lakes in the past and they got cleared up and now they're back again. So what, why are they back? Brett, I can just tell you, this is, this is one of the most frustrating environmental stories I've ever done, right? Because I've never, I've never reported a story that we cured and then it came back. So my career has been about identifying threats to ecology, threats to public health, most of them toxic, that the governments, either at the state, local or federal level, kind of got a handle on. Congress decided that the science was clear and invested the kinds of money that was needed to make a difference or make a big difference. So in this case, we had terrible lake, algae blooms in Lake Erie. Lake Erie is declared dead in the 1960s. Those of us that are old enough can remember the Cuyahoga River in Cleveland burning. We can remember 
Lake Erie itself just covered in harmful algal blooms. You know, I grew up in New York where you could basically walk across the Hudson. It was so polluted. We passed the Clean Water Act in the Great Lakes region. We also approved the Great Lakes Water Quality Agreement, which is a binational between the United States and Canada, which committed a national imperative on the part of two nations to clear the Great Lakes and particularly Lake Erie of harmful algal blooms. And guess what? It worked. In tandem, the Great Lakes Water Quality Agreement and the Clean Water Act worked to reduce the nutrients that feed the algae that caused the blooms and the blooms disappeared in Lake Erie. We solved that problem by the late eighties. It was one of the great public interest achievements of the 20th century in environment or any other. We set out to clear it and it worked. And then in the late nineties, the program began to falter. Right, yeah, what's different now? Well, what's different now from what I discovered is that Agriculture changed its practices in the Lake Erie Basin and all over the country. Farms got much bigger. The recommendations made by agricultural universities increased the amount of nutrients that they suggested farmers put on their fields in order to grow crops, particularly soybeans and corn, which, by the way, use the most nutrients of any crops in America and in the world. And the second thing happened is that there was a big change in animal agriculture. So dairies, hog farms, and poultry farms began to take their animals off the fields, out of the pasture, out of the feed yards, and put them into houses where they never saw ground again. They saw a lot of concrete. And we began to raise our pork, our dairy, and our poultry in what is called concentrated animal feeding operations, which are these basically major barns, steel barns that house thousands of animals and they produce thousands and thousands of tons of solid manure that the farm industry turns into liquid manure. And liquid manure has quite substantial levels of both nitrogen and phosphorus, phosphorus in particular, which is the mineral that feeds cyanobacteria, which cause the blooms. And so these concentrated animal feeding operations, and there are now hundreds, hundreds of them, large animal feeding operations in the Western Lake Erie Basin, There are 291 in Michigan now. They're growing about two or 3% every couple of years. And they produce a lot of manure and a lot of liquid manure. 4 billion gallons of liquid manure in Michigan alone, 400 million tons of solid manure spread on too few acres. Right, so there's an input problem. There's too much manure, too much fertilizer going onto the land, but you also zero in on this other problem in the basin and that's tile drainage. And I'm not sure, unless you're a farmer, you might not be aware of what tile drainage is. So how does that factor into this problem? Well, okay, so you have a lot of fertilizer going on the surface and you have a lot of manure going on the surface. And almost 40% of the, of the farmland in Michigan, almost half the farmland in Ohio, has a subsurface drainage network. Thousands and thousands and thousands of pipes, about four or five inches of diameter, that drain the surface and also drain the underground so that that land, which was mostly wetlands when it was first, you know, turned by the plow, can be productive farmland. It takes the water away. Well, it also takes anything that lays on the surface away. It acts like kind of a aqueous vacuum cleaner and it just sucks those materials down into this tile drainage network. And then secondly, in Michigan, we built thousands and thousands of miles of ditches So the tile drains end in sources, right? Into the pipe and into the ditches and ditches are drained straight into the rivers and straight into the lakes. 
So you have this compounding uh, series of conditions in which we're over applying fertilizers and they're draining from the land into the tile drains, out into the ditches, into the lakes. And so in order to solve this, I mean, the solution to harmful algal blooms is to dramatically cut how much phosphorus, particularly a, a form of phosphorus called dissolved reactive phosphorus, a soluble phosphorus is running into water. That's the solution. That's what we did in the 70s and 80s when we cleared Lake Erie. But because agriculture is basically immunized from most water regulation. I mean, in order to solve this problem, we have to convince farmers under, under the current law to voluntarily reduce phosphorus from their right. field. So when you say when you say immunized, meaning a lot of the rules under water quality regulations don't apply to them? Well, basically they don't have rules. I mean, farm farms don't have rules for how much phosphorus or nitrogen they can put into water. The Clean Water Act immunized agriculture from the regulatory safeguards that were put in place. And it, it works in basic two areas. The Clean Water Act describes pollution from pipes, from wastewater treatment plants and industry as point sources and requires those point sources to get permits in order to operate. And those permits set limits on different pollutants, phosphorus, nitrogen, toxics. Well, the Clean Water Act in the United States immunized agriculture from having regulations under what is called non-point pollution, which is pollution that basically runs off the land. And the Clean Water Act doesn't have regulations for non-point pollution in most cases. Now they can set stormwater permits for cities. So cities are required to control their pollution running off the streets, but there's nothing equivalent for farmers. And secondarily, the concentrated animal feeding operations that I talked about, these big dairy, hog, and poultry farms, particularly the dairy and the hog farms, which produce so much liquid manure, are permitted as point sources. But both Ohio and Michigan and every other state, the regulations for overseeing, managing manure from these farms is uh, what I found to be almost laughable, almost laughable. These permits allow farms to spread manure on land that contains excessively high levels of phosphorus already. And a high level of phosphorus for growing crops is about 20 to 40 parts per million, about 20 to 40. If you have phosphorus in your ground, 20 to 40, it's pretty good, that's pretty good for growing crops. You don't need to add more phosphorus to it. Well, in Michigan, the permit allows farmers, concentrated animal feeding operations to apply their liquid manure to farmland that's at 150 parts per million. That's almost four times higher, five times higher than what the soil needs for growing crops. And so essentially that phosphorus in the manure just runs through, runs through the ground, into the tiles, into the drain, into the ditches and out to the, out to the fields. And what's interesting if you look at the data at the harmful algal blooms and the concentrations of phosphorus in Lake Erie, they go down from 1970, 1975, 1980, 1985, 1990, right? 1995 as, the Clean Water Act took effect on the point sources, the wastewater treatment plants and the industry. But when concentrated animal feeding operations began to take hold in the Western Lake Erie Basin, which was about 1992, 1991, you can track increase in soluble phosphorus, tracks exactly, almost exactly, it's consistently with the growth of both the concentrated animal feeding operations 
and the amount of liquid manure and solid manure being spread in the Western Lake Erie Basin. And even though there are all these constraints on you know, Clean Water Act scope, you found that there are tools that regulators have if they choose to use them to address well, this problem. Yeah, one is the law. <laughs> one, is, one is the law. So, the, you know, the Clean Water Act essentially says you can't pollute our water. That's what it says under the law. And in Michigan, we have a very powerful law called the Michigan Environmental Protection Act, which says that any conduct, any conduct by anybody that pollutes, impairs, and destroys natural resources, water, citizens can bring suit in state court to stop it. And we have a case, our last piece is coming up. We have a case here in my home county, Benzie County, in which citizens brought suit under MEPA to haul phosphorus pollution from a state fish hatchery in honor on the Platte River that was caused harmful algal blooms starting in the 1970s on Platte Lake. Citizens brought suit and forced the state to change their operations, totally rework that fish hatchery, which is now one of the cleanest fish hatcheries in the world, and stop the phosphorus pollution that was causing harmful algal blooms. And proved, proved, very important legal precedent there, proved that MEPA can be used to halt pollution causing harmful algal blooms. And that law can be brought against anybody. Now, politically, it's very difficult. I mean, citizens bring suit against an individual concentrated animal feeding operation, particularly in this state where dairies are family owned, but that law could be brought against the Department of Environmental Great Lakes and Energy for failing to uphold its duties as an environmental agency to clean up our waters. So in Michigan, we have a really powerful legal tool, very difficult, hard to make case, but can be used to clean up harmful algal blooms. And there are others. I mean, there's a federal law, the Resource Conservation and Recovery Act. It's, it manages hazardous wastes. And in Washington state, group of citizens, much like here in Benzie County, group of citizens brought a suit, lawsuit against several dairies, big dairies in Yakima Valley of Washington, and forced the dairies under the Resource Conservation and Recovery Act to clean up their act. And the consent agreement, the agreement reached between the polluters and the citizens overseen by the federal district court out there required a lots of lots of changes in practice of how those dairies are operated. Now, the water's still polluted, so it's very tough to clean up groundwater that's polluted, but there's not more pollution occurring among now eight dairies that are part of that consent agreement and part of that uh, regulatory system. I found phosphorus traps work. I mean, phosphorus traps being developed by the U.S. Department of Agriculture the EPA just approved a 1.7 million grant to build three big traps in the Fox River watershed, which is the largest source of phosphorus for Lake Michigan. This is on Wisconsin, building three big phosphorus traps, and basically they're septic systems for, um, for big farm operations. There are numbers of companies that apply a chemical, hydrogen peroxide-like chemical. Uh, I found one Israeli company, very successful in Ohio, cleaned up a lake with applications of the floating granules where hydrogen peroxide is the basic ingredient. The EPA and the Canadian EPA say this is safe, that hydrogen peroxide applied according to label will dissolve into water and oxygen. What the United States Department of Agriculture and the State Departments of Agriculture and the agricultural universities promote to cure harmful algal blooms is a set of practices called best management practices. And they include planting cover crops so that when you apply fertilizer, you have a cover crop after your initial harvest to take up the nutrients. 
to have buffer zones between the fields and any water stream, to have two-stage ditches, which is to have a ditch that has a central shelf in it that has uh, grasses or shrubs that will absorb water as it's pouring in, and several other best management practices. And what I found in this project is they don't work. They don't work in the Great Lakes. And they don't work because there's too much fertilizer being put on the ground and because of this tile situation. So the nutrients have already washed off into the tile systems before they ever get to a buffer strip or before they're taken up by cover crops or no-till agriculture, which is you don't, you don't plow after you harvest. They just don't work. In fact, I found among scientists were telling me that in some cases, these BMPs, these best management practices make things worse. And we have a chart in one of our stories that show that, that is, as money is invested in these BMPs in Michigan, and by the way, it's over $50 million a year in Michigan, it's about the same in Ohio, it's $5.3 billion this year nationally, that as these investment is made in these BMPs, the phosphorus that's running into the rivers in Michigan increases, same as occurring in Ohio. So in order to really deal with this, we have to change some of the restrictions on nutrients that farms are applying to their fields and that CAFOs are applying in manure to the fields. And those restrictions have to be aimed at how much phosphorus is actually being applied on the soil. And one of the real challenges, confrontations that I found in my reporting was the recommendations being made by agriculture universities for how much phosphorus should be applied for significant growing big crops. Those nutrient recommendations have fallen dramatically over the last decade and a half as science has discovered that we don't need as much phosphorus in the ground to grow these big crops. But the nutrient recommendations are not low enough yet. And much of the problem in harmful algal blooms comes from a small subset of the ground, the most heavily saturated ground with phosphorus and nitrogen, and they're called hotspots. And science, we have to do a lot better in identifying where those hotspots are, and there are thousands of them, but they're the culprit in how much phosphorus is being drained into the tile, into the tiles and into the ditches. And that science has to be then applied to regulation that says there needs to be limits, really tight limits or, or no applications of nutrients in these hotspots in order to have them drain out their nutrients over time. So this matrix of nutrient recommendations, hotspots, and then regulation needs to be tied together. And the science supports the work that can be done to identify those hotspots and to make them ineligible put them off limits to more nutrient applications. But we have to have some sort of tie-in with regulation, some sort of, of hammer so that farmers understand and agree to this, right? That they'll actually do this and do it in a way that doesn't, in my view, put agriculture in such a, a corner, you know, as, as the bad guy, you know, because farmers are doing what the law allows them to do and what the nation is encouraging them to do. So how do we, you know, how do we as a nation begin to help farmers do that in a way that's both, keeps them in business, but also gets to solving the harmful algal blooms. This is complex, but we've done this before. We've done this kind of work before. 
And we're doing it again with climate change. I mean, climate change is very similar to climate change. We've identified sources of climate changing gases. We've identified the big sources. We've, we've put in place some regulation and law to address it. And we need to build the, the common vision of, of actually solving the problem. It's very similar to this nutrient piece in agriculture. It's a systemic ecological problem. Science is all over this. We've spent a lot of money on science to understand the sources of it, the causes of it, you know, how to solve it. And we have lots and lots of agreements and laws that we can put in place and regulations that we just need to put the thing together. You know, we need to put it in a matrix and say, this is how we're going to solve it. And I just say over and over again, we can do this because we have done this before. Right. Yeah. I want to end with a question that looks both backwards and forwards. We This is the 50th anniversary year of the Clean Water Act being passed. And do you think knowing that we solved problems like this in the past, that there's similar sort of public desire to do those big actions and to put the pressure on regulators and politicians to achieve those things that there was in the past. I'm a little bit more optimistic than we are because just this year alone, we passed a really big infrastructure bill. Congress passed a really big infrastructure bill earlier in the year and in August passed the, uh, a climate change bill or a clean energy bill that was also significant, the most significant climate bill in, in the country's history. And we've done some other things too this year that, that I wouldn't, you know, yes, I think we can. And just on this one issue, as part of, of the climate change bill, Congress put in place $18 billion, one-time investment, $18 billion into conservation, farm conservation, farmland conservation uh, spending. That's as much money as we spent in the last five years under the 2018 Farm Bill. Secondly, new Farm Bill is coming up next year, the 2023. So the Farm Bill, which which governs agricultural production and agriculture management in this country, is going to be renewed in 2023. And this issue might not be the top of the agenda, but it's pretty close. And the reason that is, is that our Senator Debbie Stabenow, Democratic Senator, is the chairman of the Agriculture Committee and has done incredible work to fund work and researching and, and activity designed to solve harmful algal blooms. And if the Senate stays in Democratic hands, she's gonna be in charge of the 2023 Farm Bill uh, renewal. It's a huge opportunity. And there are Ohio lawmakers also as part of the Farm Bill debate that will be very significant in this. So public policy at this point is a really, really tough, tough thing to go on. We're having all kinds of political fracturing in this country, but I think that if the Senate stays democratic, we have, we have a much better chance of achieving some real progress in harmful algal blooms and to put in place both the investment that farmers need to make the changes and the regulation, regulatory structure, particularly in the farm bill, can require farmers to apply these nutrient reducing measures simply by tagging them to crop insurance. Most farmers, commercial farmers have crop insurance and most of the price tag is paid by us, by the nation, by taxpayers, it's subsidized. So if you require these nutrient reduction measures and you tag it to crop insurance, which says, you know, you will not get your subsidies if you don't use these measures and we, the nation will help you pay for these measures, but you need to do these things in order to reduce the amount of phosphorus running off your ground. If we tie those two together, we can tie those two together in a farm bill. We don't have to go to the Clean Water Act. We don't have to go to another. We don't have to develop any kind of new policy. We just need to tie those two things together. It's a reach, but it's possible.
And, and let's say one more thing. Agriculture is responsible for most of the harmful algal blooms in the United States. It's primarily responsible for most of the harmful algal blooms in every other country. You yourself have, have reported on this in California. Um, agriculture in the United States is a $1.1 trillion industry. It, it accounts for an enormous amount of economic uh, sustenance for our country. And of course, it feeds us, right? It feeds us. So, so the reason that agriculture has attained this sort of high level of being attaining a special class of polluters is because of those two things. It's big and it's mandatory, it's, it's required, but it shouldn't be immunized from its responsibilities. It needs to be held accountable, it needs to be held accountable. It's a small group of people that are polluting the water for millions. It needs to be held accountable in a way that makes it easy for farmers to do what they do best, which is to produce food, but also makes it hard, much harder for them to pollute. Very good, very rich vein of reporting and lots of stories to follow up on policy decisions to keep track of. Thanks, Keith, for stopping by and talking with us. Okay, appreciate it. Thanks, Brett. I've been speaking with Keith Schneider, Circle of Blue Senior Editor and Chief Correspondent about his project on harmful algal blooms in Lake Erie. You can read all six stories in the series at circleofblue.org. For Circle of Blue, I'm Brett Walton. Thanks for listening. Thank you.